Welcome to Apologetics with Brian O'Connell, where in each episode, I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. Over the past several episodes, we've looked at the scripture and we've seen that the Bible is reliable and that it has not been altered over hundreds of years as the critics claim. We also saw that the Bible isn't just a mythological book written by man that can't be trusted. We saw this by looking at the uniqueness of the Bible, that the Bible is the only religious book that contains predictive prophecy. Through many episodes, we also looked at the manuscript evidence, the archaeological evidence, and extra-biblical evidence for the Bible. The conclusion from these many episodes is that the Christian Bible is reliable. Not only that, but we saw that the Christian Bible is truly the words of God. As we concluded our last episode, I mentioned that we were going to look at the Mormon Church and ask the question, are Mormons our brothers and sisters in Christ? So, are Mormons our brothers and sisters in Christ, but just members of different Christian denominations? Like, the differences between Baptists and Methodists or Lutherans, or the differences between Protestants and Catholics. Over the course of several episodes, we're going to answer this question by looking at the following. We're going to look at what Mormons believe. We will look at their origin. We're going to look at the different prophecies made by Joseph Smith. We're also going to ask the question, are we serving the same Jesus? And we'll answer this question by comparing what the Bible teaches to what the Book of Mormon and other Mormon doctrines teach about Jesus. Lastly, we will also look at several passages of Scripture that Mormon missionaries use as proof texts for their beliefs. And we'll see if these passages provide proof for the Mormon faith. So now I want us to look at what Mormons believe. The first belief that I want us to look at is regarding their view of God. However, before we look at what Mormons believe regarding God, I think it's important for us to look at what the Bible teaches first. The following are just a few of the many verses in the Bible that tell us about God. In Isaiah chapter 43 verse 10, God tells us through Isaiah the prophet that before me there was no God formed and there will be none after me. Elsewhere in Isaiah, God tells us in Isaiah chapter 44 verse 6 that I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. In Isaiah chapter 45 verse 5, God says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. The fact that there are no other gods but the God of the Bible is made clear in these passages, but it's also made clear elsewhere in Scripture. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 22, we read, There is no other God besides you. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4, that there is no God but one. John records the words of Jesus rebuking his audience in John chapter 5, verse 44, 
He's rebuking them for receiving glory from each other instead of seeking the glory that is from the one and only God. The last verse that I want to point out comes from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, where Paul writes, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. From each of these verses, it's extremely clear that the Bible teaches that there is only one God. Not only that, but that there were no gods before God, nor will there be any gods after God. So, having this biblical understanding, I now want us to look at what the Mormon Church teaches. The Mormon Church teaches that God evolved into Godhood. For example, in April of 1844, Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon Church, said the following, I will go back to the beginning, before the world was, to show what kind of being God is. What sort of being was God in the beginning? God himself was once as we are now, and is an exalted man, and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. He was once a man like us, yea, that God himself, the Father of us all, dwelt on an earth the same as Jesus Christ himself did. Not only did Joseph Smith make this claim about God, but on June 16, 1844, Joseph Smith also claimed that there are many gods. In a sermon that he made on that date, he said, I will preach on the plurality of gods. I have selected this text for that express purpose. I wish to declare, I have always and in all congregations, when I have preached on the subject of deity, it has been the plurality of gods. It has been preached by the elders for 15 years. Now, these two quotes that I just read to you came from the book Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith. This book was put together by Joseph Fielding Smith, who was the 10th president of the LDS Church, and he was also an LDS Church historian. The cover page of the book says the following, that the book was taken from Joseph Smith's sermons and writings and are found in the documentary history and other publications of the church and written or published in the days of the prophet's ministry. So going back to their belief in many gods, this view is also recorded in their church doctrine. In Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, verses 18 through 20, as well as section 132, verse 37, it says the following. In verse 18, And again, verily I say unto you, If a man marry a wife, and make a covenant with her for a time, and for all eternity, if that a covenant is not by me, or by my word, 
which is my law, and is not sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, through whom I have anointed and appointed unto this power, then it is not valid, neither of force, when they are out of the world, because they are not joined by me, saith the Lord, neither by my word, when they are out of the world, it cannot be received there, because the angels and the gods are appointed there by whom they cannot pass. They cannot, therefore, inherit my glory. For my house is a house of order, saith the Lord God. And at the end of verse 19 we read, And if ye abide in my covenant, and commit no murder, whereby to shed innocent blood, it shall be done unto them in all things whatsoever my servant hath put upon them in time and through all eternity, and shall be of full force when they are out of the world, and they shall pass by the angels and the gods, which are set there to their exaltation and glory in all things, as hath been sealed upon their heads, which glory shall be a fullness and a continuation of the seeds forever and ever. In verse 20 it says this, Then shall they be gods, because they have no end. Therefore shall they be from everlasting to everlasting, because they continue. Then shall they be above all, because all things are subject unto them. Then shall they be gods, because they have all power, and the angels are subject unto them. And then finally, in Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, verse 37, we read that Abraham received concubines, and they bore him children. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness, because they were given unto him. And he abode in my law, as Isaac also and Jacob did none other things than that which they were commanded. And because they did none other things than that which they were commanded, they have entered into their exaltation according to the promises, and sit upon thrones, and are not angels, but are gods. Not only is it stated in the Doctrine and Covenants that I just read to you, but this Mormon belief was also clearly taught by other church presidents. Listen to what Lorenzo Snow, the fifth president of the Mormon church, said regarding man becoming a god. In the spring of 1840, he said, As man now is, God once was. As God now is, man may be. In case you're wondering where this quote came from, this quote can be found in a biography written by Lorenzo's sister Eliza, titled Biography and Family, Record of Lorenzo Snow. This quote is also found on the LDS website under the title The Grand Destiny of the Faithful. It's clear from each of these quotes 
that the church believes that God was once a man who became a God. Not only that, but that man can become a God, and that because of this, that there are literally millions of gods. I now want to turn our attention to the topic of salvation. Before we look at what Mormons believe, though, I once again want to look and see what does the Bible teach. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, God tells us through the prophet Isaiah that all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. In the New Testament, God speaking through the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, that man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Later in the letter to the Romans, Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's clear from these passages of Scripture that salvation comes from faith and not by works. And there's many other passages that repeat this same message. In his letter to the Romans, which we've already looked at a couple verses, Paul continues to make it clear that we are not saved by works. In Romans chapter 11, verse 6, he writes, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Paul continues this message in his letter to the Galatians, where he writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Paul's making it clear in this verse that justification does not come through works. Our justification comes solely through faith in Christ Jesus. In fact, Paul points out that if we could earn our own salvation or righteousness, then there is no point of Christ dying for us. Listen to what he wrote in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. He said, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Paul even points to Abraham and argues that it was Abraham's faith and not works that reckoned him as righteous before God. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, speaking about Abraham, Paul wrote the following. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And lastly, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not 
as a result of works, so that no one may boast. From each of these verses, it's clear that the Bible teaches that our salvation is solely based on our faith in Christ Jesus, apart from our works. In fact, there are several other verses that make this clear. Now, I feel like I've given enough verses to make my point, but if you're interested in more verses on this topic, you can look up Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, James chapter 2, verse 10, and Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Like I said, it's clear that the scripture teaches that we are saved by faith and not by works. So taking this biblical truth, I now want us to look at what the Mormon church teaches. In the Book of Mormon, 2 Nephi chapter 25, verse 23, it says the following, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children, and also our brethren, to believe in Christ, and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved, after all we can do. Now, at first, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with this verse from 2 Nephi. In fact, they even say, For we know that it is by grace that we are saved. However, they don't end it there. They add something that completely voids the concept of salvation through faith. They add that it is after all we can do that we are saved. It's by grace that we've been saved, but only after everything we can do. The Bible clearly teaches that after all we can do and our good works are filthy rags in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, as I mentioned in one of our previous episodes, our good deeds are like Ebola-contaminated rags that will be thrown into a fire for destruction. As I just quoted from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-9, through 9, God clearly tells us that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Herbert C. Kimball, he was a governing member of the LDS Church. Listen to what he said on March 23, 1856. He said, I have the power to save myself. And if I do not save myself, who will save me? All have that privilege, and not can save us, but obedience to the commandments of God. Herbert C. Kimball was one of the original twelve apostles for the Latter-day Saints, and he was also the first counselor to Brigham Young. The quote that I just read comes from the Journal of Discourses, which is a collection of public sermons that were made by Mormon leaders from 1851 to 1886. This particular quote comes from Volume 3, page 269. Now, from these quotes that I just read to you, it's clear that the Mormon Church teaches salvation based on works 
In fact, it used to be that when people would look up the term salvation by grace on the LDS website, their site would redirect them to, and I quote, to see good works. Now, the LDS website has since been updated and no longer redirects people to that page. Instead, their website, as of October 22nd, 2020, it says the following. Because of the fall, everyone will experience temporal death. Through grace made available by the Savior's atoning sacrifice, all people will be resurrected and receive immortality. But resurrection alone does not qualify us for eternal life in the presence of God. Our sins make us unclean and unfit to dwell in God's presence, and we need His grace to purify us and perfect us after all we can do. Their site goes on to explain what they mean by the phrase, after all we can do. Listen to what they say. The phrase, after all we can do, teaches that effort is required on our part to receive the fullness of the Lord's grace and be made worthy to dwell with Him. So how do these claims and teachings of the Mormon Church about salvation match up with what the Bible says? Well, according to the Bible, salvation is by grace and not by works, as we saw earlier in this episode. Whereas, according to the Mormon Church, salvation is by good works and not by grace. The last thing I want us to look at is what the Mormon Church claims about themselves. According to their Doctrines and Covenants, chapter 1, verse 30, the Mormon Church is the only church that the Lord is pleased with. Ezra Taft Benson, the 13th president of the LDS Church, from 1985 to 1994, echoed these words and said the following, This church is not just another church. This is not just one of a family of Christian churches. This is the church and the kingdom of God, the only true church upon the face of the earth. Bruce McConkie, another governing member within the LDS Church, said the following, If it had not been for Joseph Smith in the Restoration, there would be no salvation. There is no salvation outside the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Bruce McConkie was a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, which is the second highest governing body within the Church. As I bring this episode to a close, let me recap on what we've looked at. Throughout this episode, we've looked at several different beliefs of the Mormon Church and we've seen that they hold to doctrines that completely contradict the Bible. Their belief that God was once a man who later became God. Their belief that humans can become gods, and that therefore there are millions of gods. Their belief that man can earn his or her own salvation through works. And lastly, we saw that the Mormon church claims to be the only church that God is pleased with. Throughout this episode, I've shown that each of these beliefs held by the LDS Church are completely erroneous 
and blatantly unbiblical. The next area that I want us to look at in this series is the origins of the Mormon Church, which we will have to do on our next episode. That's all the time that we have for today. Come back next time as we look at the origins of the Mormon Church to see how it started. God bless.